0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, your Senior Pastor Dan Willis. And good morning to all who are listening today. What a glorious day in the life of the Christian. I have several things I want to talk with you about in this mini-sermon series as we take a small break uh, from the one we're in. We'll resume that in January. But for now, I have four sermons, actually five if you count Christmas Eve, and we're going to have Christmas Eve, by the way, unless something drastic happens. Uh, But here's the thing. These are shorter, more to the point, and I think, uh, how do I put it, Um, less thinking-involved sermons. It's just well, that's the way it is. let's do it. because they're simplistic in nature, but deep in their understanding. Uh, we, we, we have had, listen, has anybody felt like you've been under attack lately? I mean, let's put COVID aside. yes, okay? You know, I'm, I'm reminded that the devil is prevalent and he's still powerful. but I serve a God who's more powerful than that. has proved it to me over and again. anybody? Oh, just me, In uh, the bishop, maybe. Anybody else? Come on, speak up. Is God, is God greater than that? Yes, he is. Okay, good. So here's the thing, okay? So, you know, if it, if it wasn't enough of all the things that's been happening and the decisions I have to make, and I have to tell you, it's like I've told all my pastor friends. I, you know, we had a conference call uh or a a zoom call with our district superintendent and a bunch of pastors from the district and and nobody knows what to do nobody trained anybody for this the leadership doesn't know what to do and and i asked the specific question what is the west end church or the district going to mandate and he said specifically well we think that's going to be overreach and we're going to trust our local pastors to do what they think is best in their churches and the reason is and that was wise because Every area is different. Every church is different. Everything, right, like where some areas COVID might be this high and others it might be minimal. So we have to be wise about what we do. So a lot of things we've made some decisions. So just pray with me and for me because the decisions that I'm making, believe me when I tell you, are done because I think that's what the Lord's leading me to do to keep us safe. So. No, no live services tonight, no live services of any sort on Wednesday, hoping that the numbers go down. Got a friend in the hospital right now, Matt and I do, who works with us over at uh, NDOT, who and, and it's somebody who's a, a Wesleyan, has been for years, uh, is fighting for his life, probably not going to make it this morning. You know, and no one knows why. No one knows why. They don't think it's COVID, but they don't know why. Listen, no one promises you tomorrow other than God. He's the only one that can do that. And so we need to be, right, safe and smart and prayed up, friends, because this, these are trying times, and yet I know who I serve and why. Now, uh, we, we're, we're going to do some things. We can't do any, hardly any of the things we've done for Christmas, but we're going to do a couple things. I think this, these men and women get-togethers are going to be a good thing. Uh, for those of you in Mecca, hopefully you heard that. Uh, this morning uh, I sent that out to Lori, so hopefully you got it. Uh, but we're, on the 12th and the 19th, men and women, we're going to have uh, breakfast and a dirty Santa thing, and you know everybody kind of you know bring a little gift, you know, 15 bucks or less. And we're going to we're going to keep distance, but and we're go- but we're going to fellowship. We're going to do something in Christmas because I can't I can't close the church, friends. I just can't. E- even though I'm compelled by other pastors and other people to do so. I just don't feel like God's telling me to do that. We're, it's like I told the worship team yesterday. We're we are all the world sees. That We're all they've got. We're the only chance they've got right now. And what we've got to do is show them Christ. And if we're closed down, it's hard to do that. You know why? Because we get busy and focused on the problem, the issue. And we're all closed in our homes, and we're, right? And yet we'll go out to the store and restaurants and all these things, but we're going to close church. I can't do it. Amen. Now, if we go into the Red Vigo County and people start getting it, I'll have no choice. You understand. But for now, I would rather have Sunday morning services and celebrate this the, the beauty that you saw in a little girl who, who poured her heart into what she did this morning. Amen. Right? Amen. Jesus is that simple. Okay? I want to do that. So I'll sacrifice, you know, Sundays and Wednesdays to keep us safe so we can have, right? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I hate masks, but I'll wear it. I can't do it when I'm speaking, but, you know, so I, I'm going to, I, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you please, I know some of you don't like it any more than I do, but would you wear one in until your seat? If you don't, you don't, know, but I'm not going to mandate that. But would you look at others around you? Let's. I want to keep Sunday morning open to praise him. I, I, th- I think it's important that we gel together as a congregation and as a church universal because God deserves that and we need that. And so... You do what you wish. I'm going to leave it on you, but please. Please, let's try to be safe together. The, the second thing uh, I want to tell you, you know, as if it wasn't enough, uh, Mandy texted me this morning and said, hey, uh, it's cold in here. And sure enough, go downstairs, and I can get the furnaces to fire, but they won't stay on. And I knew the 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 tube on one of them was wicked hot. And so I started thinking, well, maybe it's flame sensor, because I know that's what happens. So Matt called Ryan, who does that, and Ryan came over and found We've got a blown motor in our primary uh, furnace. Not a big deal. can be fixed. But I'm grateful it's not below zero to, today. So Ryan's going to rewire, probably already has. He's got a motor, but it won't work because it's, the bracketry is different. So he's just going to wire the second furnace to run in primary for now, so we'll have a little heat. And it's plenty for this weather. It, the other one doesn't come on until it needs it anyway. And then he'll fix the other furnace tomorrow, and we'll run. But you know what? Devil, you do not win. Because here we are. Might might have to. I would say get a little closer. We can't do that, <laughs> but we can. But we. But you know what we can do. But we. But we can. We can. Put, you know, put on a little more clothing. and We can just praise God. It's warming up in here already. Anyway, so you know what? Praise God. Amen. Right? Praise God. Praise so you know, uh, listen, I'm all about it. And so this morning, as we look at uh, our our mini series in Christmas, I've named it. Uh, prepare for Christmas 2020. You know, we we prepare, people are probably thinking, well, wait a minute, we we prepare every year. Yeah, we do, but we procrastinate too. Any, anybody got their shopping done? Okay, who's not started? Who's somewhere in between? Who's not sure they'll ever get done? Who's decided, hmm, an envelope with cash is much easier? Anybody think of that? Okay. Whatever. So, you know, everybody's at different phases of life. But here's the thing. We don't prepare for Christmas the right way anymore. We're preparing for what society has made Christmas to be. We put more preparation, my friends, into gifts, into cards, and into the meal and the gathering than we do the reason for it. That's a fact. Now, I'm not here to chastise anybody. I'm just telling you that that's happened. You know why? Because I think we don't understand the depth of what Christ did, what God did. I don't think we. So I want to prepare this morning for the miraculous. The miraculous. Listen, I don't know what in your life is miraculous. Most of you are thinking. Not much these days, right? You know, you get up out of the bed and it hurts before you even roll out of it, right? Okay, it hurts when you get in, it hurts when you get out, and you're thinking, oh, right? And yesterday I went to the store, I've been went to several stores for different things, and I went and as I was coming in, this gal came out. Uh, and she was she was an African-American lady, uh, you know, and, and with this this big uh, seem-to-be racial unrest that seems to be in the world. We don't have it in the church, you know. Right. We, do we, Bishop? We don't have it because right, right. we're all just people. But I know, you know, and plus I have my sheriff's hat on, and sometimes, you know, people get kind of standoffish about that. Uh, but anyway, uh, she came out and a poor thing. She came out, and she looked around, and she looked around again, and I looked at her, and I said, forgot where you parked, didn't you? She said, I did. <laughs> and I said, do it all the time in fact here not too long ago i i and she's looked at me and she and she she looked at me kind of straight and she goes and then she kind of softened because i was having a conversation with her and we just started to talk there just the two of us laughing you know and and i said well you know what i did i said don't feel bad because i've done that many times because you'll come out of basers you know and you'll go i look one side which side did i park on right because i go in that back door all the time you know and so here's the thing not too long ago i went to walmart and I went in, and I came back out. Now, listen, I don't, I, Deb, I'm sorry, I can't stand Walmart. I can't stand it. Uh, so I don't go there unless I absolutely have to. There's a reason why I'm not going to get into it. But anyway, there's several reasons why. But here's the deal, okay? I don't like stores in general anyway. But here's, so I went there because I had, you know, I had to go. And so I came, as I came back out, I walked up and down every aisle, and it, you get a workout doing that. <laughs> I could not find my truck. I look, and you can't hardly miss the darn thing. It's about two stories high and, and, you know, two streets long. You know, it's one of the biggest trucks out there. You can't hardly really miss it, right? And it's white, for goodness sake. Dare not, you're going to see it. So I, I looked all over creation. I could not find and I'm going to tell you, I must have looked like a bloomin' idiot. The people were, the people, the bell ringers, and the people were outside, they're probably thinking, this guy off his rock or something? I walked all over the place. You know what I did? Matt, this thing doesn't pertain to you. <laughs> I know you got something to say, but look at here. So you know what I did? And then I dawned on me, well, you dummy, you drove the car. <laughs> no kidding. Who's done that before? Come on, admit it. it. It takes a bigger person to admit, right? You know, and let me tell you something, if I have found my truck in that parking lot, that would have been miraculous. Right, so for me, that's about as miraculous as things get sometimes. That's that's life. And this poor gal, we laughed, and she laughed, and you know what? And at my expense, she laughed. You know, and she put her, and we fist bumped, and we went on our business. See, that's to me, that was a miraculous meeting, for no reason. But if nothing else, it made my day better, and I bet it did hers too. And two complete strangers. Just having a conversation. You know what? And it makes both giggle a little bit, you know. Because isn't God about that? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Because in this day of the garbage that we have, we need to see the miraculous. And we need to prepare for it too. We need to prepare for it. I didn't prepare to meet that gal, but from now on I think I'm going to start to try to do that. I want to prepare for the miraculous, miraculous meetings like that. And something way greater and bigger than that, okay? So Luke chapter 1, scroll down to verse 5, listen to this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright. Now, get that. Both of them were upright in the sight of God. And isn't that what's important, whether God sees this as upright or not? Observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Brother, that's hard to do today. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, And he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Now, that's a big deal because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given to humankind yet. Okay? You grasp that. Look what God did here. Many of the people of Israel will, be, will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. Listen to this. In these days, I want you to take note of that. In these days, just like these days, He has shown His favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. Friends, in these days, God will lift you up. Friends, powerful passage today. Beth and I uh, were out shopping the other evening for some birthday presents. for We have uh, several grandchildren whose uh, birthdays uh, fall at this time of the year. Uh, and you know we got a quiver anyway. Uh, and so they all kind of come sort of this time of the year. And it's good because we can get some of them all knocked out and have one big event and they all get their stuff. That's cool, you know. Uh, but it requires us to go out and do some birthday shopping when other people are doing Christmas shopping. And you know how much I'd love to do that. And I couldn't help noticing that all these people were shopping for Christmas and all the Christmas stuff was out, you know, and and of course, Christmas stuff usually didn't come out until after Thanksgiving, but now it comes out well before that. And heck, some of it's already picked over, if you don't know the truth of it. But either way, so uh, there there was something uh, that reminded me uh, so many years that I've I've spent uh, shopping uh, for Christmas and observing people. Anybody ever like to people watch? Do you observe people? Do you ever get the vision, you know, uh, beat me up, Scotty, there's no intelligent life down here. You know, I'm not trying to be mean, but sometimes, you know, then again, then you walk out of bazers and don't know where you park, right? So, so, huh? It it brings things in perspective for you pretty quick. Either way, so, so I was observing people and there's something that I find incredibly amazing about the focus with which most of the women do their shopping. Let me let that soak in just for a minute. Some of you ladies are just like me and hate to shop. And some of you guys are pretty bad with it, you know? Some guys, gals, who has a husband that you send to the store and wonder when he's going to come home? That happens, okay? But here's the deal, okay? So, and, and so I began to notice that when it comes to Christmas shopping, most of the men find a bench somewhere, right? And you can see them, right? And we all just kind of nod at each other because we know. What's going on? And then the gals are out there, and they're like, uh, they've got like this look of intensity. You know, they're, they're, they're like lasered in on the purpose uh, for what they're there for. And they usually go to the clearance racks first. Ladies, how, how wrong am I? You all right? You go there first, and then when you don't, and, and they'll spend more time there than anywhere. And then, and then when they don't find what they're looking for, then they grudgingly go to the other racks, other places. And they've got a list, and they've checked it more than twice, (laughs) like a hundred times to make sure that everybody's covered, right? You've done that. I know you have. And they're they're good at it, right? And they're lasered in on this purpose for which the days after Thanksgiving were given to us, to shop. And for some gals, it's the Super Bowl. Okay. Now, I'm not being. I'm not trying to divide people here. I'm just telling you. This is the way things are. Okay. And and I begin to think we often live life, my friends, with a similar kind of focus. We pursue our daily grind with this unrivaled intent. We get into this routine of living, and we just live with this massive effort of being lasered in. Now, a friend of ours from our first church, uh, Sunlight Fellowship, Wesleyan Church in South Bend, used to describe my son Frank in this manner. He said, that boy lives life with reckless abandon," And at the time, it was true okay he was he was young he was fearless and he was focused completely in the moment as most boys are right girls are the same way mm-hmm. both of my granddaughters I adore both of them and they 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 are okay they're like they're right they got papa right here and here's the deal okay both of them uh, the other day, Danny was playing with this, like uh, blender and tea set, or whatever the heck it was. And I asked her to go. She wanted to hang out with Papa and go to the store. And you no, know, she wanted to play with the blender and the tea set. And it's like it's like Papa was not even in the of imagination. And when when Vanessa's playing, same way. She's so focused in what she's doing that you could you could literally lay off a firecracker and she'd probably ignore it and just keep going. I mean, they're 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 focused on what they're doing. You see. They're not observant of things around them, typically. And I think the same is true for adults sometimes. We get so focused on daily life that we forget, my friends, to keep our eyes open for the miraculous. And I think many people live life in this sort of uh, survival mode. But Christians need to direct our eyes to the possibility that there is more to life than simply surviving, right? There is a miraculous level of living that ought to be there, I think. Just as the children of Israel became hardened to the daily miracles of life as they wandered in the wilderness, so do we wander in the wilderness in these modern times. And because this is true, there is one difference between the modern church and the people of ancient Israel. And that is they knew they were in the wilderness, and we typically do not know. Now, now think, think with me here. Okay, before you shake your head and say, yeah, I, I, I'm not in wilderness, I, I think we often are. And just because you don't know it doesn't make it so, right? See, you could be in the wilderness and not know. I mean, how many times, men, have you been lost and refused to admit you were lost? Mm-hmm. Well, that looks familiar. That looks familiar. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it doesn't, <laughs> right? Amen. Listen, guys, you, you can be lost spiritually and not know you've done it. Because the devil's good at what he does. I I, I give him credit for that. He's good at what he does. Defeated, but good at what he does. Can't have any sway over us unless we allow it, see? So think on that some. Notice here that the angel gave six specific promises to Zechariah. In this passage, he said, one, your prayers are going to be answered. <laughs> Praise God, right? Exactly. Two, God has been gracious. In fact, the name John uh, means grace of God. Okay? Three, you and your people will know joy and gladness. That's significant because they had not for some time. Number four, your child is going to be great. Everybody wants to know that. Five, Israel is going to see a national revival. That's kind of a big deal for a priest to hear. Number six, your child is the precursor, the forerunner of the coming Messiah. Oh, to know that. I mean, don't even have one. And I'm advanced in years. My wife is too. Wow. He's a priest now. The priest. Now, clearly, Zechariah doubted all of this, and so he responds by essentially saying, give me more evidence, angel, and then I'll believe. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what would you do, Pastor Dan? If the angel appeared to you and said, oh, I don't know, I need more evidence. I mean, I, I I have seen an angel more than once. And I'll tell you what, at the time I didn't realize it. Okay? I didn't realize it. But I know later that that's what it was. And I, I suspect we have all seen angels and maybe, and the Bible says you will see angels and many don't even know it. Right? And the Bible says it and you believe it. So, did did that change just because Christ came? No. Angels are around. Right now. Okay? So, all right. So, I, I got to believe that if I knew as an angel and and he told me, hey, hey by the way, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I don't think I said, well, nice to meet you. How you doing, man? What's going on? I think I'd be like, huh, what's up? <laughs> Anybody? You're welcome. You're welcome. You see, this is exactly what the Israelites did when they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, Right? You know, Pharaoh and the armies behind them chasing them, and God, they're thinking, oh, we're dead here on the beach, you know. We got to, we got to the, the ocean, but guess what? We're dead. Right? And then God says, and off they go on dry land. Right? I mean, that's that kind of miraculous. Anybody? And then when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, they forgot all about God and what He'd just done. And so they shaped this golden calf, and they start to worship the darn thing. In fact... Moses' brother Aaron does it for him, the priest. It's kind of like the rich man who begged Abraham to send Lazarus back from the grave so he could witness to his brothers, right? It's also like Thomas who demanded more than somebody telling him that Jesus was was alive. No, he needed to see it himself. Now, all of these cases in which people demanded more evidence than the promises of God. They're they're linked. All of these cases that happened, they demanded more. In fact, the Apostle Paul had these words for us when we think this way, that we just got to have more proof, we got to see it for ourselves, or we want more than what the Word tells us. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? Okay, Pastor. Maybe you've convinced me. But you need to give me more. Right? Is, isn't that what we're thinking today? I maybe I'm convinced, but I need more than that. That's what we do. It brings everything right back home, doesn't it? See what I mean? You're all in the same place right now. Everybody here, everybody at Mecca, everybody at home, everybody. We're all in the same place. Okay. Maybe I'd like to believe the miraculous is is in front of me, but I need more. I need more. Because, yeah, I've read the Word of God, but I need more. Right? You're saying, I want to believe the miraculous, but give me some proof. I mean, how do I prepare for the miraculous? Isn't that what you're all asking? Don't you want to know how to prepare for the miraculous in your life? Great question. Let's look. First, friends, we have to live life. Everybody everybody look up. Everybody look at me. Come on. All right. You have to live life, every one of you, on call for God. You have to live life on call for God. And I knew that this was the right message in the right time because when Ryan came here today, He was downstairs, and I said, "Man, I'm sorry we had to bother you so early in the morning, and that you had to come down here." He goes, "That's all right. I'm on call anyway." I thought, "Ooh, now now look here. Did God allow our furnaces to die today to give me a message about what I'm about to tell you? Huh? Now come on, kids." You see, we have to live faithfully no matter what. And life isn't always hunky-dory. Believe you me, I know that. We have to live life faithfully no matter what. Here's the amazing thing about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Even though they weren't seeing anything miraculous in their lives at this time. Because nobody was. It was the time of silence. God wasn't speaking. He was. But that people weren't listening, so he told the prophets, don't tell them anything. Don't tell them anything. 400 years this was going on. It's kind of a strange time to be a priest. Nobody was listening anyway, (laughs) right? I mean, you know, I get, listen, let me tell you something. I got a little bit of understanding about that. Here a few months ago, when it was me, a couple of my family members, and John DeLille, I spoke to an empty building. And I had no idea if anybody was listening or not. And let me tell you something else: when we first started, everybody was listening. Now, we're down to just a few here and there. Uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm, the numbers don't lie. This is this is who we've become. When it's new, maybe we'll do it. But after a while, eh, we'll find other things to do. Oh, we don't have to go to church. Oh, okay. This is who we are. I'm I'm telling you, this is what the devil has done in our society. I'm not done telling you about that yet. Okay? And yet, here's Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're still living faithful and godly lives when everybody else is not. That's hard to do. In any age, it's hard to do. Remember that Israel was in the middle of these 400 silent years with no prophecy. She had no Recorded angelic announcements, no recorded angelic visits until now, and certainly no significant miracles. Now, the apocryphal books tell us a few things, and they tell us the exact same thing. Nothing really happened. Just tells us the lives of people. It's historical. But God didn't really do much because the people didn't want to hear it. Does it sound familiar to you at all? Do you feel sometimes like you're in in the desert? Remember that that, that wilderness I was talking about in the miraculous? We need the miraculous today, friends. And by the power of the Spirit that he's given us, we can have it every day. It's there. But right now, we're in the wilderness and don't even know it. We're dry. The world is dry right now. Their nation was spiritually dry. Our nation is absolutely spiritually dry. I was speaking to Americans today. I don't care what your party affiliation is. We're spiritually dry. I can prove it. I guarantee you I can. And you should know it. The people in his day were so indifferent, and they were even hostile toward God. And so the Lord told the prophets not to inform the people of anything he had told them. So God wasn't on the hearts and the minds of the people. He wasn't moving in their lives uh, as a nation, and he wasn't moving in the nation itself. And so when that happens, what does it look like? Out of sight, out of mind. I want you to remember that phrase today. Out of sight, out of mind. I've used it many times. I remember one time I was short in my first stint in the Marine Corps. That means I was about to get out of the Marine Corps as an enlisted person. I was getting ready to get out. I was a sergeant. Um, I was within a month or so, and some new people came in. Uh, to take my place, and so they didn't really know what to do with me. I hadn't really, so I thought, well, I'll just screw around for a month. They won't mind. And they said, no, we, we got to do something with you. And so they sent me over to be uh, the headquarters and service company clerk. I, friends, I was well above, I was a sergeant. That's a Lance Corporal or maybe a corporal. And I'm a sergeant. I'm above that. Sergeants don't do that stuff. But when you, when they had a need, they put me there. And then, but there was one time I went Went to lunch, and and I didn't come back at 1,300 or 1 o'clock. And I spent most of the afternoon horsing around at the PX and just screwed. I thought, what are they going to do? You know, that was a bad idea, bad idea. But I came back, and the company gunny looked at me and goes, where you been? You know what I told him? I sat back. I said, oh, out of sight, out of mind. He said, yeah, I know you're short. Don't do that again. <laughs> In other words... If you aren't in sight, you're constantly out of mind. But that's true. If something isn't needed, and something was needed, just so happens nothing ever happened. But on that day it did, and I wasn't there. And guess what? They needed, and and the gunny had to do it. And that he's two ranks above me. That that that's not. That, he understood. And if I had I not been short, he'd have considered dereliction of duty and want to hammer me for it. Right. But because I was shorter than now you know, he said, "Look, man, don't don't do that." We, we, if, if it's not in our face, it's out of our minds, right? You all have stuff in your house that at one time you just had to have, and you haven't seen it for a while, and you don't even know it's there anymore. You know how I know that? I, I found, you know, the other day I told my daughter Carol, you might as well take this thing home. Where is Carol? Oh, uh, I, you might as well take this thing home because this, this ninja cooker that we have, I haven't seen it for months. It's in there. I've used it once, I think out of sight out of mind. You know why? Cuz every time I could use I go to what I always I go to the stove and the oven and use that. When I could use the ninja, you know. And Ninja hopes I do. They want to sell more of them. They want you to tell people, "Hey, try that Ninja." Huh? Out of sight out of mind. And yet here are these two servants living faithfully in this dry and faithless time. They never forgot to think about God. They never forgot to worship God. They never forgot, friends, to serve God. No matter what anybody else did or didn't do. And to be honest, the time in which we live, I think, is dangerously close dangerously close to what was happening in Zechariah's time. You had to live life on call for God. But here's the deal. You can't do it by expecting fanfare. I couldn't think of a better word. So that's what I used. The truth is, there wasn't any fanfare or any massive, amazing events happening during this time. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived for the Lord regardless of whether there was something massive or great happening or not. We won't. Most of us won't. You see, they didn't need these big events to believe. But like I told you before, the enemy has changed the way we learn. He has changed the way we focus. He has changed the way we get involved. And he has changed the way we live. He has. God's been here all the time but we've decided to follow what the enemy suggests to us. You see, we require entertainment. We live in a society that dies for entertainment. We can't learn unless it's entertaining. We can't serve unless it entertains us. In fact, I'm not sure we're going to live unless it, we're entertained. Now, come on. We require this entertainment so much. We require fanfare of these big events to hold our attention. Even in the church, we do it. People will pick and choose churches, not on the depth of the message they might hear, but on how much hoo-hoo we got going on on the platform. Because it's all about the emotion now. Make me feel something. Let me tell you something. You hear a powerful message of truth, you ought to feel something. God's going God to gonna use that to move on you. Hmm? That's why His Word's not enough anymore. It doesn't move us like it once did. You, you understand? This has been going on in history forever. So much so that certain King, King Jehoshaphat said, Oh, my goodness, we got to get back to that in a hurry. I wish somebody would stand up in our nation that people believed and said, Oh, my goodness, the Word of God, we better get back to that forthwith but that ain't going to (laughs) happen. Not with the enemy going, nah, you don't need it. Let me entertain you. Huh? How true am I? How right is this? Friends, I can give you many examples of Christians today who require constant, miraculous movement of God and the Holy Spirit in order to keep their attention on God. I'll get back to that in a minute. Hold on to that thought. You see, when there's no fanfare, when there's no miraculous events, when there's no, you know, emotional movement, when nobody's watching, when there's very little to look forward to tomorrow, do we continue to live faithfully for God? Are we ready to respond at any moment? in the days in which we live, and I wonder about that. Yet God requires us to live life on call for Him, regardless of the time. He knows what time it is. Your time ain't any different than the one 100 years ago or 100 years before that? You think it is, but God doesn't. You see, regardless of what is happening, whether it's good or bad, or simply simply nothing happening at all. Are you living life on call for God? Are you ready to serve, to suffer, or to even be a pioneer for Him at a moment's notice? Yeah. Or will you have to will you be like all these other people that Jesus talked to and said, oh, let me go bury my parents? Oh, let me go uh, plow my field. Oh, let me. I've done it. Amen. You've done it. We've done it. you got to live life on call for God. Secondly, you have to refuse to let ministry become mundane. You have to refuse it because the devil wants you to to start feeling like your ministry is, is mundane. And let me tell you something. Don't you dare tell me that I'm the one that's got the ministry. You all have a ministry. Everyone, if you said, I accept, Lord, I accept your salvation, you have a ministry. Every single one of you has it. You can't hide outside of church and think you don't. You can't casually look at a service on your television or on your PC and move around and get your coffee and screw around and miss half the message and say, oh, I don't really have a ministry. Yes, you do. And your ministry was to sit and watch that message and learn something. Exactly. Exactly. Not check in and out when you have time. Mm-hmm. Not go to church when you think you have time. Not to do it only on Sunday or when you're doing something at the church that you volunteered or said you would do. Mm-hmm. Come on now. Don't do Don't do Come on. That's right. now you, you, I know you hate it when I'm, well, I'm always like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because I, but God talks to me first before I talk to you. Amen. He makes me see it first. Amen. You know? So I, I'm not telling you, you am telling me too. Amen. When you have talent, you're to serve. It doesn't matter the situation. When God's giving you gifts, you use them Amen. at a moment's notice, regardless of whether you get along with people in the church, or you have time, or you feel inadequate, or there's other things going on. It doesn't matter. God gave you a gift. He gave you, and and He's been known to take them away. Either by just taking it away from you, or are you dying, or are you becoming impaired, or ill. I, Don't tell me God doesn't allow that. I know He does. He's done it in history. Refuse to use what God's given you? I don't know. You see, we we can never be bored with God's work. Friends, let me tell you about this thing with Zechariah. There were around 20,000 priests in his day. 20,000! We should be so fortunate to have 20,000 pastors in Wesleyan Church. 20,000 ministers of the gospel in the United States. Huh. And these priests, these 20,000, were divided into four, uh, what they call 24 divisions or 24 different types of ministry. They all did different things, and they all did it in a different division. You understand? Exactly. Amen. Exactly. And each of them served two eight-day periods during the year. I, I would like to tell my church, hey, I'll, I'm going to be doing uh, these eight days and these eight days throughout the year. What do you, do? what beyond that, uh, you know, hey, it doesn't work that way in our, does it? But that's what they did. That's because there are so many of them, and every type of ministry consisted of about 800 plus men, 800, 850, whatever, 830, whatever. And to get to burn incense was a pretty big deal. It was an amazing opportunity for Zechariah. He'd never done it before. Probably only do it once in his entire lifetime as a priest. To go in there. But, but cast lots, and whoever won it got to go. And everybody went, oh, Zechariah, I guess to go this time. Wonder when my turn's gonna come. Some of them never got one. A lot of them never got one. 830 priests, you tell me how many times who's gonna get to do it? Very few. Clearly a special occasion, but it was nothing compared to what God wanted to do in Zechariah's once-in-a-lifetime moment. God waited until His turn came to go into the temple and burn that incense, and that's when He met with him. Once-in-a-lifetime was really once-in-a-lifetime. Okay? God used an event. See? And yet, Zechariah seems to be so into the moment of doing the incense and doing his duty, he's going to do it like a good good little priest would do it. Make sure he does it just right. You only get one shot at it, you're going to do that, right? You prepared your whole life as a priest to do it. And yet, he fails to realize the significance of his experience. You see, friends, I think we're oftentimes in danger of doing the same thing. Why? Why? Because it's easy to allow ministry to become lackluster. If we aren't careful, we may not see our ministry as exciting. We may look at the pastor's ministry and say, that's pretty exciting. We might look at some of the you know, people who are in higher positions than us in church and say, oh, there's, there's pretty exciting. But let me tell you something, with excitement comes an awful lot of other baggage too. I assure you of that. Am I right, Bishop? Every pastor will tell you. And you see, when we don't see our ministry as exciting, uh, the miraculous might become commonplace to us. We get to the point where we just go through the motions of life and we forget how significant it is to put flowers on the table for no reason. To visit the hospital or to sing in the choir. To do random acts, get this, of Christian kindness, because there's a difference, okay? We get so busy in life that ministry just becomes another part of life, rather than the focus of life. Now, come on. I I want you to do something for me today. Everybody here, everybody listening, and everybody, hey, if you're at home and you're walking around to get coffee or you're distracted by the kids or whatever, I want you to focus in here a minute. And I want you to do an exercise with me. Yeah, hello, I'm speaking to you. Listen, this is the fact. And I want you to right now do this little, this little thing. I want you to consider if your ministry is the focus of your life or if it's really something else. It is ministry in your church, ministry in your school, ministry in your community, ministry in your workplace, ministry wherever you are. Is that the focus of your life? I'll bet you it's not. I'll bet you it's not. Well, you're the pastor. It's yours. No. No, it's all of ours together. I might be employed full-time to do that. But we're all ministers together all the time. And that ought to be our focus, my friends. Or have you simply allowed your ministry to become part of your life's focus either on equal terms and priority with everything else or maybe even after everything else? Huh? Don't tell me we haven't done that in the church today. We minister when we think we have the time. We'll minister after all these other things are always given priority over that. Don't tell me we haven't. I'll I'll prove it to you. Let me shadow you for a week. You won't want to do that. Because I'll prove to you what I'm saying. I'll prove to you that ministry is the last thing you'll do. And you'll accept it or use it or participate in it when you think you have the time. Promise you you will. Okay? Either you're going to accept the truth or you're not. If you're honest with yourself, you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Again, has your ministry become mundane? If it's the last thing you do, it has. Mm. Hasn't it? (laughs) It isn't your focus. If, if, If your ministry isn't your focus in life, then you know the answer to this. I don't have to shadow you. God has shadowing you, has always been shadowing you. He's been right there with you, whether you'd loan He doesn't want to be your shadow. He wants to be there with you. Doesn't he? Amen. So, what will he have to say about it? Well, you're telling him to talk to the hand. Or you don't have time. You don't even have time to hear him. That's because you're busy. And they're all good things, some of them aren't. But the devil has told us, children first, children's first, children's first. I'm telling you, our license plate's proven in Indiana. Kids first. Come on, guys. No, it ought to be God 1st ought to be God first. Our focus is not where it belongs. I'm not saying children are important. Every, every one of my kids, every one of my grandkids is important. They're a priority to me. But they can never be over him. He, they can never be over his ministry. They can never be. But I will never allow the ministry to hurt them so badly that they don't want any part of it. And I did my very best not to let that happen. There's there's a balance. Don't be fooled. But you know and I know that we are living our lives through our kids sometimes. We are. We've got them involved in everything, and that takes up every ounce of energy and time we have. And you parents, you know I'm right. You grandparents, you know I'm right. Put things in perspective. If you put God's ministry and focus first, your kids will get that and more. Okay, and a family serves together. Thirdly, we have to keep praying with persistence. We can't expect God to answer the way that we want Him to. It'd be nice if He did. Who wants God to answer the way you want Him to? Me and Bishop do. Anybody else? Some of you are... Okay, right? Right? Isn't this it? Okay. You see, here, here again is another great thing to notice about Zechariah. He just kept praying in spite of the lack of an answer. Even though he and his wife were beyond childbearing years, he just kept praying for a child. He questions it when God says, I'm going to do it, but he, but he kept praying beforehand. That's the key, you see. In fact, while he doubted the answer, he had still been on his knees in prayer, praying with persistence. And I suspect that if his friends would have known that that's what he's on his knees praying for, they'd have said, what are you doing? Are you nuts? How many of you have already raised your kids and you're certain there's not going to be any more in your life? Come on, get your hands up and keep them up. God already knows. Put them up. Okay, so if, if, if any one of you went to your knees and started praying for a child, we would all tell you, get a CAT scan. Right? Am I right? But Zechariah wasn't done here. See, now granted, he didn't have any at this point. And so it's probably a little bit more urgent for him. I get it. But he, the Bible is clear. They were both beyond reproductive years. And the only way that's going to happen is if God steps in. And I've known an awful lot of people, even in my own family, if God didn't move, it would not have happened. God can do the miraculous. And it isn't just childbirth, friends. He has he healed people. He has moved nations. He has done... He, God, there's nothing He cannot do. And prayer with persistence has always been the key to it. Zechariah prayed long after many of us would have stopped or given up regardless of what we're praying for. And here again, we need to look at our recent prayers, things that were really important to us. I want you to do this. Okay, here I am again. Put down your coffee. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, turn around. Face, listen, another exercise. This is what you got to do here. I want you to think about your recent prayers. Things are really important that you prayed for. How long did you really persist? God might want two years. Two minutes, two hours, two days, two weeks, two months. What if God wants two years? What if he wants 20 years? Zechariah had been praying for better than 40. Yeah, I did the math on it. been praying for over 40 years. Never quit. And Paul says, God is not slow as some... Consider slow. Okay? How persistent are we in our pursuit of God and His answer? Here, herein lies a lesson in persistent prayer. In Luke 11.10, we find this amazing truth, and I want you to hear what Jesus says. Not just listen, but hear. He says... For Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. My friends, allow me just for a moment to indulge you so that I can show you something incredibly significant about what Jesus said here. This is something you might not get if you haven't gone to school and learned how to decipher the way it's said. And this is where the education comes into play. And I love the fact that God has blessed me. You see, the way Jesus says this is more important than what he said. He speaks in this continuous sense in the Aramaic in which he is talking. And Luke clearly picks up on it. For he writes it exactly that way. And you never do that in the Greek. You never do it this way. It, it's almost like when, you know, we speak in English and we start talking, and then we put a phrase in there it doesn't make any sense at all. And everybody goes, what? Dialect. That's it. It's dialect. dialect. He's 100% right. I'm going to tell you that in just a second. Okay? So this is what he does. It's almost like uh, uh, when we, um, uh, you know, we have a lot of cliches we say that aren't really English. The people who are learning English from a different language, it doesn't make sense because it's slang, and they don't get it. This is exactly what he did, but it's dialect here, how he puts it, okay? So Luke picks up on it, and he writes in the Greek in a manner of way that you would never, ever do it, and especially for Luke, it's hard to do because he was educated and knew what sounded right. I would never write that way. I would never speak that way as an educated person. We wouldn't. And Luke didn't want to either, but he picked up on what Jesus had actually said, and so he does it because he knows is massively important that he puts it down exactly the way Jesus put it. From Aramaic, he, put, he responds in the Greek. And what he basically says here, there's no doubt in the dialect, in the meaning here. It's written in a continuous sense. In other words... Jesus literally said this, and you wouldn't in the Greek. Whoever keeps on asking, keeps on seeking, keeps on knocking, they will be answered. Not whoever does it, whoever keeps on doing it. That's what he said. This is what Zechariah had been doing. And it begs an answer to our prayer lives. Have we? Are we? More importantly, the bigger question and answer is, will we? What will you do from this point forward? Will you pray with persistence no matter what? The church, our nation, and our society in general needs us to pray with persistence. And lastly, friends, we have to believe that God's Word is enough. We have to believe it's enough. I'm so excited about this sermon series because it's so simple, and yet it's so powerful. We have to believe that God's Word is enough even when it doesn't seem to be. Just like I alluded to earlier in this message, remember, some Christians must have certain gifts or see certain manifestations of the Holy Spirit in order to either believe or stay connected to God. I'm not ripping on Pentecostals here. Don't hear me say that. But I think whenever we have to have those things, something's wrong. Because the enemy is pretty good at emulating miraculous things that aren't God at all. Right? Yes or no? Amen. Amen. And I struggle with this because God has never given me the gift of tongues. And not saying he won't. Just hasn't. And that's fine. If people have them, great. But he he may not. God has never given me certain other gifts that other people have either. But I know what mine are. I know what he's given me. Amen. Amen. And I don't have to speak in tongues to know he is. I don't have to have the gift of immediate healing by laying on hands and saying he is. God is, regardless if I can do that or not. He's given me other gifts, like being able to exposit the Word. It comes off the page to me. It's like the matrix, man. It It just comes to me. I can't explain that. But it wasn't always so. And I know that as soon as He gave it to me, He can sooner take it away. That's a fact. I don't have that ability with any other book or manuscript that I read. It's only in the Word of God that I have it. Okay? I see things that other people do not see. And I know there's other people out there that see things that other people do because we all have different gifts. Paul says we do. I'm grateful for what I have. You should be grateful for what you have, and you need to know what they are. Amen. You need to know what they are. I know that God has promised me many things in His Word. I know He has. I can read it, and I know He's promised. Jesus condemned the religious leaders in his day because they demanded a sign. Amen. The problem is not that they were seeking to know God's will more assuredly, but rather that they were demanding more evidence than God's word gave them. And don't we sort of do that sometimes? Don't we sort of say, "Well, God, I'm reading it, but I don't—I won't—I really, can't hardly believe it until I, you give me more." We're going right back full circle to where we started here. You see? And I'm thinking, do you understand this? They wouldn't put in the effort to understand God's Word, live it, and allow Him to speak to their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And you want to know why? Because they had to have some sort of a sign that He was real and that He cared. And that He had their best interest at heart. And don't tell me we haven't done that. And this is really the crime of Zechariah. He hears the message of God through Gabriel, and then he demands more before he's going to believe it, as if the angel wasn't enough, and the promises of God. That's what made him become a priest in the first place. And again, friends, as I close, this begs an answer to the same question. What signs are you looking for? Because you are. We are. So often we hear and understand what God is saying about something, and yet we won't believe it until we hear or see more. We demand more evidence, greater evidence than what God has already given or what He's even willing to give. God knows what we need and what we don't. He's going to give you everything you need. He promised it. We have to learn the simple truth that God's Word is and always will be enough. Amen. Right. It's enough for me. Amen. Amen. I don't need to reinterpret it or reinvent what God said. I know that a lot of people in the Christian church want to do that. And it begs another question. If you do that, are you Christian? My guess is no. God's Word is enough for me. God says, this you shall not do. So don't. God says, these things you shall not participate in, so don't. These things you must do, so do them. Okay? He's not ambiguous. And don't tell me I'm not educated or cultured, because I'm going to blow that out of the water in about two seconds. Are there some gray areas in the Word of God? Yeah, but there's an awful lot more black and white. And I'm telling you, things are black and white, God says they're black and white. That's enough for me. And it ought to be enough for the church. Okay? Now, here's another thing. Whether you knew it or not, God's Word has always been enough. It was for these people. And yet they struggle with the same garbage that we do. Do you think it's really going to change? Not until we all get more lasered in here. Not until the Spirit starts to have more control. They didn't have the power of the Spirit, see? John's the only one that I can read to God before Christ. like Like that. You see, God knows, friends, a lot of things, and He knows that His say is and always has been the final say. Amen. Church, God knows that if He has to be continually giving us more evidence, that it will never... It will get. Hear me. If He has to continually give us more evidence in His Word, it will never build our faith in Him. It will never advance our faith. It will never grow our faith. It will never help us to lean on our faith. And that's why we don't have any. That's why we don't have it because we're still demanding He give us more. So, He expects us to come near to Him, to feel His presence, and then to see His hand. But remember, we want to see the hand first and then. That's not what He said. Remember that out of sight, out of mind, I was talking about. I wonder for some of us if God isn't sort of out of sight and therefore out of mind. Come near to God and he will. Right. But we're saying, God, if you move your hand and let me see it, oh, then, then I'll come near. No, that's not faith. That's show me. He's already done that. He already showed you when he died on the cross for you. He already showed you when He forgave your sins. He already showed you when He gave you grace so you didn't have to pay for them. Come on now. He did that already for you. And He did that when He gave you the power of the Spirit within you. He showed you by the power of the Spirit in you, which allows you, friends, to live differently than everybody else around you. Yes, sir. Now, come on. Didn't He? Amen. Did God already do them? Because He did the miraculous in me. I'm telling you, you may not like me now, but you did really not like me before. Amen. Okay? Okay? I can assure you, you wouldn't. I'm telling you, you wouldn't. And the ones that did, I, I, I couldn't be friends with them now if I wanted to be. That's that's the change that God did in me, okay? I'm telling you. Don't tell me God's not miraculous. I know He is. Nobody could have changed me. Nobody could have, no education, no money, nothing could have done what God did in me. Amen. Who knows that? In your own life. There you go. So as I begin to think about that, I realize that sometimes we don't see and believe God because we aren't spending enough time with him. And I say to myself, well, don't be like Zechariah. Don't you be like Zechariah. Learn from Zechariah. There's a thought. Learn from Zechariah. Okay? And as our worship team comes, friends, have you ever noticed how children often bargain Adults, their parents and grandparents, whatever. they bargain with us. When we say no to something, they begin to reason with us or try to convince us that somehow they've got some sort of authority or claim to something. Like, we ought to say, oh, well, you know, you're a child, so you know, I'll listen to what you're saying. I tell parents who do that, who's the parent? When someone tells me, I say, well, where's, where's, your, uh, where's your teenager? Today. But where's your where's your child? Oh, they they, they did they didn't want to come. Who's a parent? All right now. are Go did, did God give them the authority to determine what's best for them at any age? No, he didn't. Society might give it to them at 18, but I'm telling you, most of them ain't ready for that. And while you're in my house, you're going. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you like. I don't care what your friends do. You're going. Because if I don't, I've failed him, not you. Parents, I'm telling you, that's a slam dunk every time. And you need to stop it right now if you're doing it. And I don't think anybody here is doing it. But you online? I'm telling you. Now, here's the deal. I want to go back to these kids, and I want to peck on them. Here's the deal. Notice how they do it. And so we do the same thing with God. You ever notice that? We'll, we'll, say, we'll, we'll say the same thing to God. He'll, he'll, he'll say yes or he'll say no to something. And we just keep bargaining with him. We convince ourselves that the answer we're looking for is absolutely the best thing. And then, and then we try to convince God of this perceived fact. Who, Have you ever tried to convince God of something? Who's ever done that before? How did that work out, right? You see, we try to reinterpret his words or maybe re-explain them. I mean, after all, you know, this generation knows more about everything than every single generation before us, right? (laughs) Don't we? And the one before us knew more than the one before it. And I got news for you. If you haven't noticed it, the one above you knows more than you do. And the one that well is way more than any of us ever did. It's ridiculous, but they think it. They believe it. And isn't that who we all are? And so, and so on and so forth. And so I begin, right? And so we begin to think this way, and we often call into question the sufficiency of the Scriptures. But God's Word is and always has been enough. Amen. So you see, Zechariah was unwilling to believe in the clearly revealed word of God concerning his future. And I began to think about that. I, you know, I said, you know, Pastor, you, you got to ask yourself and everybody that listens to you today, whether they're in your church or at Mecca or, or, or even if they're not even in part of your church, Maybe people listening need to ask this question themselves. What have you believed about God's promises to you? What have you believed about his promises of your salvation? about your eternal life with Him? What about His promise of protection? The fact that He has always promised to be there for you and with you, to be present and available for you to call upon in a moment's notice. And shouldn't you be available when He calls you in a moment's notice? What about the blessings He has promised to you? Do you believe those? Well, you should. You see, friends... If we're truly going to prepare for Christmas 2020 or any year, if we're really going to do that, then we've got to prepare for the miraculous. Remember what Elizabeth said, in these days, because God is not done, not by a long shot, not until Jesus comes. He's not done. Amen? Stay with me today. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.